major partner, still a major outlet for exports, and it doesn't want to risk any of that if it doesn't have to. Mm. Um, the U.S. is a major partner, but both sides are partners to each other, and, and therefore they need to respect each other a lot more. Yes, and I think there are a couple other things that are positive here. One, look at the renminbi. It's now, uh, what did you say earlier, Peter, a, a, a six-week high. high or six-month high. Eight-month high. So this is very encouraging. And, and by the way, I think the U.S. is the biggest export market for China. So that's important. Okay, well, thank you very much. You heard there our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, Kim Doe, head of Greater China Investments at Bering Asset Management, and Stuart Allcroft, who's the chairman of City Trust. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning, the ASX 200 in Australia is off about two-thirds of 1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is flat at the moment. The Cosby is up a quarter of a percent. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open up about 30 or 40 points higher in an hour's time. And in the commodities markets, Brent crude oil, $46 a barrel. Gold trading at $1,929 an ounce. Thanks very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Andrew Work. The, uh, the weather forecast for today, hot with sunny intervals and a few showers. Those showers are going to increase gradually during the day with a few squally thunderstorms. Maximum temperature is going to be about 32 degrees. It is 30 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. It's 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The Democratic Party says two of its lawmakers, Ted Hoi and Lam Chuk Ting, have been arrested over a protest outside Tunmun Police Station on July the 6th last year. Mr Lam's social media page says police arrested him at his flat at 6am, also on suspicion of taking part in a riot in July last year when a mob of people beat bystanders and MTR passengers in Yunlong. Alan Zeman, the chairman of the Langkwai Fong Group, says the government should extend dining in hours at restaurants until 10pm so restaurants can have two dinner sittings. Yesterday, the government said as long as there was no dramatic change in the coronavirus situation, it would ease social distancing measures, such as allowing cinemas and beauty salons to reopen and customers to dine in at restaurants until 9pm. Mr Zeman said the move would boost business, but not enough to pay rents. He also said bars should be allowed to reopen until 10pm with the same restrictions as restaurants, operating at 50% capacity with a limit of two people per table. People need a job, they need to eat, they need to live, and economically, Hong Kong is dying. And if we don't do something about it, you've got 1,270 bars and pubs at the moment. They need to open, gyms need to open, and there's ways that I believe that uh, the government should be sitting with the leaders of this and, 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 and find a way to go forward that we can safely open up up to a certain point. And, and, and if we follow those restrictions, that might be the way we have to be for the next number of years. The mother of Jacob Blake, the black man shot in the back by police in the U.S. state of Wisconsin, has made an emotional appeal for an end to the violent protest sparked by the shooting. Julia Jackson told a news conference in the city of Kenosha that the destruction of the past two nights did not reflect her son. Other relatives demanded that the officers involved be sacked immediately. Mr. Blake is said to be paralyzed from the waist down. Ben Crump is one of his lawyers. It is going to take a miracle for Jacob Blake Jr. to ever walk again. He is currently in surgery as we speak, still struggling to sustain his life. 
You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivas and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Ready for action. That's right. Today, super hot weather in Hong Kong and something on the latest COVID-19 measures. Well, with 20 very hot days, 21 hot nights and monthly average temperature of 30.2 degrees. Last month was the hottest July since 1884, according to the observatory. And recent research shows consecutive hot days and nights in particular amplify the health impact with women and the elderly relatively more vulnerable. So why are we getting hotter? Has something gone wrong with our urban design? Is it something to do with architecture? And how can we cool off? And then from 9.15, we're going to be discussing the latest COVID-19 measures with <coughs> Executive Councillor Tommy Chung. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and comments. Our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call. 233 That's 233-88266. Joining us for the first part of the programme, we have with us now uh, Kevin Lau, who's a research assistant professor at the Institute of Future Cities at the Chinese University, Lam Chu Ying, former director of the Hong Kong Observatory, and Paul Zimmerman, CEO of Designing Hong Kong, also Southern District Councillor. Once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Got some interesting emails, which we'll maybe get to a, a, a little bit later. Um, Kevin Lau, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, good morning. Thank you for mentioning for, for joining us. So I think it was your, your study, uh, particularly kind of focusing on hot nights, which is the, the cue for this, and, and the study comes at the same time as this uh, uh, revelation that July was the hottest month ever uh, in Hong Kong. Well, what's so special about the hot nights? Why are hot nights important when it comes to assessing the impact in Hong Kong? Uh, so a hot night is actually um, uh, a result of the uh, urbanization in Hong Kong because uh, the buildings absorb the heat during daytime and it cannot be released at nighttime. And then in, in the previously, people may be aware of the heat during daytime, but, uh, but may, maybe not for the nighttime. And then uh, human bodies tend to um, use um, the nighttime to relieve from the heat, to recover from the heat. But with, we have like a consecutive day, uh, hot days and nights, then the opportunities or the effect Believing the heat is reduced. So I think it causes the problem, uh, and it can be reflected from our study, that the relative risk uh, due to the consecutive hot nights uh, is higher, much higher than normal days. And, and why does that matter? Like, why is that, why is that important uh, for, for us in the city? What kind of impact does it have on people's lives? Uh, of course, like, the first is the health impact. And the, uh, the second one is, of course, on the energy consumption because, uh, well, if you think about like in, back in the old days, then in the 60s, we have a relatively warm period at that time. But, um, but at the same time, there were not as many hot days, as, uh, sorry, hot nights as, as nowadays. So uh, the energy consumption, especially during daytime in residential buildings, poses uh, uh, an alarming signal to, especially under the effects of future climate change. Uh, why can't the heat that's absorbed during the day be released at night? Uh, Hong Kong is a very high dense, has a very high density urban environment. Uh, compact, uh, the buildings are very compact, and then the heat absorbed uh, in the buildings uh, normally. If you think about like uh, natural environment, it is released uh, back to the atmosphere. But in the city, the heat is being trapped within the uh, the, the compact environment. So um, on the street. Um, 
within the building even. So the heat is being retained and then it increases the interior, uh, the indoor temperature and then it affects the people the most. Uh, and why does this matter? What are the impacts of us being hotter? Uh, according to our study, the health risk uh, due to these uh, nighttime heat uh, is higher than the uh, than the normal situation. Uh, we found that there's a, a six about six percent higher uh, mortality risk uh, for the more four or five consecutive hot nights. So I think the health risk. Uh, So heat stroke is one, but I mean, I, I, I did a little bit of research on the way because I'd heard things about uh, things like domestic abuse increases when temperatures are higher. Uh, what are we looking at? We're looking at heart attacks, uh, heat stroke. I mean, we're, we're looking for what are the specific impacts and, and do they tr- hold true for Hong Kong uh, and do they align with studies that have been undertaken in other places? Yes, uh, the health risk include, of course, like the heat exhaustion, uh, heat stroke and uh, of course, like heart, heart, heart is or cardiovascular disease, and then uh, the, the intense heat, of course, also uh, affects people with chronic diseases. So these people are more vulnerable under these conditions. And is that is that manifested as more ambulance calls, uh, you know, kind of emergency calls being made during these these prolonged uh, heat spells? Well, it is possible. We are undergoing a study looking into the uh, the call for uh, ambulance. Uh, or emergency services, and at the same time, also we call, uh, we work with the um, the senior citizens uh, association for looking at the emergency call that they uh, that they actually make uh, under these, uh, for example, like hot, hot nights and hot days. Right. We've we've got Paul Zimmerman, CEO of Designing Hong Kong, here, Southern District Councillor. Um, Paul, do you get complaints from your your uh, constituents when they have these kind of long nights, or do, do do you feel the impact of that in the community? That they call me that say it's too damn hot. It's too, <laughs> as, as the song goes. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't had uh, complaints from from residents about that specifically. But uh, you know, I, I see that Lam Ying is here as well. Um, you know, <laughs> first of all, is uh, to be fully aware of where this all starts, which is basically uh, our carbon footprints and. As a city, we have a responsibility to dramatically reduce our carbon footprint in every possible way because the, this temperature changes. It has to do with, with climate change. But I think Lam Chu Ying is, is far more qualified to speak on that issue. Uh, from an urban design point of view, I mean, Hong Kong is looking at this um, uh, in terms of uh, you know, to try to cool down the buildings and try to cool down the city by creating more air ventilation, setting buildings further apart, creating bigger gaps between buildings so that we can have a better airflow that can cool down the city. Um, I remember that we uh, and at Chinese University looked at that and uh, there was a study shown uh, temperature differences in the city so they measured on a night where it was cooler and where it was hotter and uh, they found the inner city and especially in Kowloon in a very urban dense area the temperature can be four degrees higher than say on the waterfront um, and that, those are dramatic differences so um, making a really great waterfront so people can escape is kind of a, a mitigation measure yeah. so you can at least get to cooler areas but it, it, the idea is that uh, as we as the city redevelops that that cooler air can get into the city and cool down the city uh, so that's that's a that's an urban design aspect that is being considered now in all urban plans in hong kong and then on the architectural side um you know i think one of the amazing things to me is that we still have uh, buildings with a very high carbon footprint 
buildings uh, that lack double glazing, mm. um, that uh, don't keep the buildings cool inside and keep the heat outside. And then the performance in terms of the building's facade, whether they reflect the heat and get rid of it right away, or as uh, Kevin Lauder said, all these buildings absorb the heat and then kind of slowly release it during the night. I haven't seen that in the Green Building Council is really giving good consideration to this aspect. And, and I think we need much more stringent control on how we build our buildings and make sure they perform better. Because our buildings don't slowly release the heat at night, do they? They gather it through air conditions and they pump it out as fast as they can to super cool the inside. No, not, but not when it comes in. Our camera can explain that further. But the um, it, it's the it's the absorption of the heat into concrete, into the mm -hmm. stone, into the materials that these buildings are constructed on, and how that then slowly releases those heats. And and by the way, if you do cool down the buildings, you 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 expunge heat. Yeah, and it's, the cool air goes inside. You sponge hot air, so you, you further impact the heat in the city. Lan Chu Ying, good morning to you. Good morning, former director of the, the Hong Kong Observatory, as Paul Paul was saying there. Um, you know, the, it was quite shocking, really, that July was the hottest month ever recorded uh, in Hong Kong. It did seem hot, but that's a, obviously an extreme. What? Why is that? Do we know why that's happened? Well, uh, two two factors. Number one is global warming, which is the background. Uh, and uh, the secondary factor is uh, urbanization and the large amount of concrete we have in the city. And as uh, the other speakers ha have mentioned, concrete absorbs heat during the day and then uh, it releases the heat out again during the night. And so the city with a lot of concrete is uh, hotter than the surrounding countryside. Um, so it is climate change and concrete in the city. Lam Tzu Ying, do people still use the term urban heat sink? Is that is that still a, a term they use for this process whereby uh, urban uh, heat up and then release? The urban heat island. Um, we, we, well, with a lot of concrete at the middle and then surrounded by the sea and the countryside, we, we are like an island which is ex, extra hot. Okay, I just bring that up because my, my old uh, roommate in university was an art student. He was required to take one science course, and that was that was all he remembered. So all we heard about all year long was the urban heat sink. Uh, in fact, John Hayes, not to you. Um, so I mean, you know, we're talking about the uh, the impact that comes out of health uh, health issues, but I mean, uh, you know, are we caught in a negative cycle whereby you know the hotter it gets, the more aircon we use, and that just pushes all the heat outside, and people who don't have access to aircon are really disadvantaged. Yes, it's a vicious cycle, um, it's getting hotter and so people switch on the air conditioner more and more, but then well, it's like <laughs> it's, uh, and then uh, the air conditioning system uh, figuratively is uh, excreting heat, in additional heat into the environment, so uh, the poor people with air con without air conditioning is getting even more heat mm. uh, compared with uh, no air conditioning in the world, so I, 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 I really don't like air conditioning. Um, it, it's it's uh, solving the problem for for some people, but it is uh, aggravating the problem for a majority of other people. It's kind of addictive, though, isn't it? Once you get used to air conditioning, you can't go back, can you? And it, you could say yeah. that you know, in Hong Kong, we've we've got more and more air conditioning, stronger air conditioning in shops, it seems, and yeah. uh, yes, public exactly. transport and buses yeah. and so on. Yeah, try yeah, to exactly. <laughs> Addiction is the word I recently used in one of my blog articles. Um, we are so get, we, we have got so used to it that uh, 
a lot of people, the moment they, they walk into a home would switch on the air conditioner. Mm. But uh, actually, our our body is built to uh, tolerate a very wide range of temperatures. So, uh, provided we have uh, sufficient ventilation, actually, we, our body could cope with something like 32, 33, or even 34 degrees. That's a thing of people living in in the fringe of desert areas. They, they, they can live for centuries or millenniums with, without air conditioning. So mm. it is a kind of urban addiction. Yeah, and a fan, you can get away with a lot if you have a fan. Yeah, um, what I have done myself is that I, 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 make, I make good use of uh, USB fans, tiny fans, mm -hmm. uh, six inches in diameter or 15 centimeters. So, um, uh, so right at this moment, I'm enjoying the gentle breeze of <laughs> one of these USB fans. Um, so it, 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 it helps to sort of uh, gently evaporating the, uh, whatever sweat or what, uh, whatever is on your body, on your, your skin. So it has a very nice cooling effect. Um, so basically the important thing is that we should ensure that inside buildings there should be good natural ventilation. Unfortunately, this is fairly lacking in uh, buildings uh, constructed in the last decade or so. Yeah. Hey, Lam I mean, you're also involved in the uh, the 2050 study by uh, Civic Exchange. It just looks yeah. at carbon uh, carbon issues, yeah. and um, and and one of the biggest contributors to to carbon in in Hong Kong is are our buildings and is climate control, is climate yeah. management. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that seems to be the key f the, the key focus we must have to improve uh, on our carbon footprint. Yes, indeed, uh, that should be the primary focus. Uh, that is the air conditioning loading. Uh, arising from uh, buildings, and uh, one, 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 one observation that I, I, I really would like to share with people is that uh, the increasing use of uh, big glass panels uh, it, to, to substitute for walls uh, it, uh, on buildings uh, as, um, is actually a terrible uh, e evolution in building design in Hong Kong. I don't know why they're using so much glass panels. Maybe it is cheaper. Maybe it is uh, it, it produces more saleable uh, floor area. But uh, with large glass panels, we are get, letting the sun's energy coming inside the building, and also the, the glass panel itself gets very hot, so it becomes an active heater of the building, uh, the inside of the building, which in turn uh, results in uh, enhanced loading on the air conditioning system. So I think um, we really have to work very hard to reduce the energy consumption of buildings, new buildings and old buildings. Uh, got an interesting email here. This is from Mary, just reminding us of the of the importance, I guess, of uh, of shade. Uh, Mary says one simple measure to combat the soaring heat levels on our streets that could be easily implemented is to recognise the wisdom of previous generations and make awnings over pavements compulsory. Try walking along a street subject to intense redevelopment and feel the heat once you step out of the shelter provided by the old style architecture into the glare of tall curtain walls with no awnings or a useless plexiglass strip 10 metres above the pavement. Tokwawan Road is a good example. In Chimsa Choi, compare the searing heat on Nathan Road between Granville and Kimberley Roads 
with the blocks shaded by older buildings and trees. When the mirror was refurbished some years ago, its awning was removed, and the one is a typical heat-generating glass wall. There are numerous similar examples all over the city. It's also high time the police resume street patrols and do their bit with a zero-tolerance approach to illegal parking that encourages males to relax in idling comfort while the sick, elderly, babies, pregnant women and the disabled gasp for air. That's from Mary. Um, Kevin Lau, do you, do you agree about the idea of uh, shade? Because the traditional buildings in Hong Kong, traditional shops, had arcades, didn't they? And you walked, you walked undercover. Yes, of course. Like shading is, of course, one of the most effective uh, solution, uh, not just to the uh, ground level, but also uh, to the building itself. Because like, if you shade the building well, then it actually reduces the thermal load of the buildings. And uh, at the same time, we may also consider uh, uh, other options like a vertical greening, because like they help to reduce uh, the heat being absorbed by the buildings uh, during the day. And at the same time, it also uh, produces a cooling effect to the surrounding environment. So it helps to cool the city. When you talk about vertical vertical greening, you're talking about like these plant walls, because I understand they're pretty energy and water intensive, aren't they? But that, that's I, yeah, that's I, Kevin. I mean, these 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 vertical greening. I mean, it, in a way, it, it, it addresses the issue that Lam Ching has raised in terms of these glass panel walls that you replace it with uh, uh, kind of services that are more absorbing and um, and, and don't don't uh, suck the heat back into this, to the to the to the building. But there is a problem with those uh, those green walls. Like they they on the other hand, the expense is is yeah. more energy consumption and and so on. So, but the 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 old colonnades, uh, the arcades. As, as, uh, as you refers to, I mean, we're now try- we're trying to get them back in urban planning. So in uh, in um, uh, Kai Tuk, around Kai Tuk stations, the buildings that are being planned there are uh, going to be built to a different code. The planning department has looked at it, and the town planning board has approved the the ground level of these buildings to be- have arcades back, so you can walk in the shade of the building, and and that's definitely something we, we need in our city trees in in our streets trees along our promenades um it's an ongoing battle with the maintenance departments in hong kong who don't particularly like leaves falling on the oh. ground <laughs> so <laughs> well, yeah. and i'm sure yeah, yeah, I, I like i like this point um well we really need much more uh, trees and uh, lawns in, in in hong kong um in many places we have uh, big flat pieces of concrete which is a terrible uh, generator of heat during the night. Mm. So I I noticed that uh, in Paris, uh, people can get a license and then uh, and then they they, they could uh, they would be allotted a small piece of public land uh, on which they could plan things, of course, to certain specifications. So uh, so citizens uh, get the opportunity of helping the city to to uh, green the pavements and so on. So um, I think we should uh, actively uh, study the use of plants uh, to reduce uh, heating. Mm. Uh, arising from concrete. Sure, and we, we'll follow that in this, after nine o'clock as well. We're going to talk about the issue of uh, kind of urban forestry and greening the environment. Okay, our number is two three three eight eight two six six. Mike is on the line. Mike, good morning to you. Well, good morning. I, I listen to all your experts and. Um so-called experts, yeah, go on. So-called experts. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I, I live in a, I, I, half the year I live in a cold country, and if we want to keep something warm, we think about the source, or we think about the heater that we're using. And so nobody's talked about the sun. And, I mean, that's, 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 that is the main, carbon footprint isn't the major source of heat on this planet. 
it's the sun is the major source of heat on the planet. So um, let's see, how are we going to dial that down? There happens to be a lot of sun flares going on, and the, the, the heater is turned up a little bit. So how are we going to dial that down? The sun. Sun flares oh, are lump Well, Well, the sun itself you can't touch, but uh, exactly. we could plant trees, we, we, we could plant trees to, 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 to uh, shield ourselves from the sun. And it goes through cycles. There are hot cycles and there are cold <clears throat> cycles. There's not, oh. much, there's not much we can do as human beings on this planet when you're looking at the sun. And oh. start focusing on that. So, Mike, is your point you don't want to do anything about uh, reducing our carbon footprints or, and well, that we should I, wait I, for the sun to calm, to cool down? No, I, that, that's a good plan, and it would be a lot cheaper. But I, I stand underneath my tree, and uh, it's really pretty comfortable. And I get out in the sunshine, and wow, it's really, really uncomfortable and cooking hot. And nobody's even mentioned Yeah, so uh, shade is important. The source and the shade. So I just thought I'd bring you guys' attention back to planet. Yeah, you can you can try all you want to, but carbon is a misnomer. Okay. The, 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 the planet is greener now than it was ten years well, ago. The, the, planet is, the planet as a whole is not worried by the sun. Uh, it is only human beings who are now worried by the sun because we we we, we created so much extra carbon dioxide, we are getting extra warming, and uh, the, you, the, the negative not, impact is on the human being. So, listening. well, if you're we not do nothing, well, we disappear, nature would be happy. Nature you're could not do without us. Carbon dioxide, <laughs> carbon dioxide creates plants. Carbon dioxide makes plants grow better. And so yes, you are right to a point, but if there are so too much carbon dioxide, plants die. There's something you should realize. You, Carbon dioxide is not really exactly uh, what what plants like. Well, then can you can you tell me can you tell yes. me what is the perfect temperature of the planet? What the temperature, temperature do you want the, the planet the, to be? The optimal temperature of the planet, uh, at least for human survival, is fourteen point five degrees. But we are now approaching one point one one point two degrees above that figure, and uh, you would be surprised. Okay. You would be surprised. Human beings could disappear if if this temperature goes up to it's something like three degrees, and we are we, we are approaching that NASA. level by the end of this century. And would you like to see to your, your 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 grandchildren disappearing from the world? I think that's the that's the point we should uh, take note. Uh, <laughs> okay, Mike. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, thank, right. thank, thanks for your call. Uh, we're, we're kind of focusing on kind of the idea of mitigation, I guess, and and, and how you, on how you cope with that. Um, coming now, I've got to say a lot, a lot of new development in Hong Kong. I'm thinking of say like like uh, Chungkwanau or some of the new towns. Basically, all the life is moved indoors, isn't it? You have shopping malls and they're connected, and mm. people are kind of driven off the streets. There's nothing on the streets. Basically, all the life has moved, as I say, indoors and and undercover. Uh, is that one way to kind of deal with this? Well, of course, this is not the best way to deal with that because uh, I, I, did, I, I do agree that uh, the people are being like uh, moved indoor because of the design of the outdoor environment. If you compare the uh, new towns like in Chengguano uh, to like the older new towns like Sha Tin, then you found that like the outdoor environment is less favorable. So, for example, there's a less uh, greenery on the street that people can enjoy. So there's a less um, sports like for them to cool off like when they walk uh, under 
conditions. And this is one, one of the reasons. And the other reason is um, uh, the design of the building that uh, not very uh, encouraged for the, uh, for the ventilation in, in the particular area. We, we see a lot of like uh, high-rise, very compact buildings that's uh, actually blocking the wind in the, in the local area. So I think these are the two aspects that uh, discouraging people uh, to, uh, to walk on the street. Okay. Uh, a question from uh, Anthony in an email who says, uh, Hi Kevin, is the heavy use of air conditioning a result of urbanisation that heats up the air in Hong Kong? Please tell me. Do, do we use a lot of air conditioners? Do they actually make things warmer outside? Well, yes. Uh, in, in terms of the energy consumption, of course, it produces uh, waste heat in the, in, in the urban areas. So, and that's, why and that's significant, that, uh, is it? That will actually warm things up, you think? Compared to the heat being absorbed by the building during daytime, I do think that like the, we have to pay more attention on uh, bringing the, the heat away from the city. So, uh, uh, like Paul said, ventilation and then trees and parks, like which can cool down uh, the city by lowering the temperature. So we can either bring away the heat or lower the temperature in the city. Mm. Hey, Kevin, I have to uh, disagree with you on high rise. Um, I don't think that it's it's necessarily the height of a building, but it's the footprint of a building that uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that disturbs I, I the ventilation. That. Uh, you know, I, I always when I see the numbers of Hong Kong compared with other major cities, we're doing extremely well when it comes to our carbon footprint um, uh, uh, from related to transport, because uh, we, we people go everywhere with the MTR. Ninety uh, percent of the daily trips are on public transport. Our carbon footprint in uh, in traffic and transport is, is is some of the lowest compared to other cities, and that reduces our carbon footprint. So there is an advantage of a high density city. We just have to learn how to better design and okay. use better materials. Okay. Well, we've got to say goodbye now to uh, Lam Chu Ying. We'll continue the conversation after the news at nine. The weather uh, hot, yeah, sunny in tools and a few showers. Thirty degrees at the moment. Relative humidity now at eighty percent. Hurricane. It's going to be a large, powerful storm. All of coastal Louisiana should brace for storm surge. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Wednesday morning with Andrew Work and Mihu Chuas. And we're talking about uh, hot weather in Hong Kong, the effects of the heat, how we can make things better. Uh, yeah, the whole the whole weather forecast, which we didn't quite get time for before the the news. Uh, let's see, very hot with sunny periods in the following few days, as well as a, as a couple of showers around. Temperatures are getting up to uh, thirty two degrees. No hot weather warning uh, for the moment. Anyway, uh, joining us to talk about uh, the issue later. By the way, we're going to be joined by uh, Tommy Chung, executive councillor, to talk about those changes to the COVID uh, measures, especially as they affect the catering uh, industry. But joining us for the talking about uh, how hot things are, uh, we have with us uh, Kevin Lau, as a research assistant professor at the Institute of Future Cities, Paul Zimmerman, CEO of Designing Hong Kong, uh, Southern District Councillor as well. And we're also joined now by Patrick uh, Hingtat Lau, who's chairman of the Association of Landscape Consultants and a member of the Urban Forestry Advisory Panel. We've got a lot of emails, a flood of emails have come in uh, on this topic. Paul says, uh, traditionally we used to call off during the summer by going for a dip in the sea. However, due to stupid government measures, the ahem privilege of going for a swim has now been as good as criminalised. 
Furthermore, since wearing these disgusting masks have been mandated, even hydration in a public area is now technically a criminal act. It seems the health interests of the public are not a concern for this government. That comes from Paul. Jay says we need to blame the architects and the construction community because they knew the way the modern buildings are built today that they produced heat. The British and Europeans used to build buildings big at the bottom and small at the top so the airflow would be good and keep cool. But construction and money and greed has taken over and of course we have more population. Also building on farmland and taking away trees and greenery is also a big contributory factor. Uh, Anthony has a uh, uh, addressed uh, Lam Chu Ying, who we had in the first program, uh, part of the program. Sorry, he's gone now. Uh, Anthony, anyway, says, I'm a big fan of you. I live in my apartment in Wan Chai without air conditioning. Uh, I live with electric fans with the windows open. Uh, by doing this, can I help reduce the carbon footprint and help cooling the temperature? Hmm. Or is it no use to do that to help the environment? If it is useful, why do so many people who claim they need to protect Hong Kong don't want to do that? That comes... Uh, uh, from uh, Anthony. Thanks for that. Uh, Craig, who is a landscape architect, says one important mitigating impact the government has been trying to address in the past decade is urban greening, and particularly more urban trees. Mm. The city, its streetscapes, plazas, open spaces need more trees. Private developers are required to include a minimum percentage of greening in their developments. But the public streetscapes that constitute a very large portion of Hong Kong's urban spaces cannot accommodate the street trees we require to provide shade and provide other benefits, including enhancing biodiversity, etc. However, there is not the political incentive to address retrofitting our streets to accommodate more street trees. Uh, Rick says lots of unseasonal in Australia. Uh, and Anthony uh, says, uh, this is, I think, for addressing Kevin Lau, uh, I've been living in Singapore for a few years, and the East Coast Park and artificial land created for more plants have made the country more environmentally friendly and lowering the temperature. By doing this, if Hong Kong can also follow with mega artificial landfill projects for more residential units and plants, can it help improve Hong Kong's environment by lowering the living density and making more plants to absorb the heat? That comes uh, from uh, Anthony. Jay says you've forgotten to talk about the pollution problems because there's so much cement dust in the atmosphere. You can't open your windows for uh, fresh air. Blame the construction industry. Uh, Richard II says, in relation to our earlier caller, Mike doesn't know what he's talking about. There is currently a solar minimum, so it's not responsible for current record temperatures. Please don't indulge him. Uh, and uh, Richard also says, the argument that concrete is responsible for the hottest recorded July temperatures is a bit misleading. The mass of concrete in the city has not increased substantially in the past 20 years. What has increased is the infrared retention, heating in other words. We can talk about concrete, but the real problem is that it is increased heat due to global heating, and this is happening now. Australia's fires uh, already, uh, California fires, record temperatures in Siberia, huge ice loss, all of these reflect the increase of heat retention in the atmosphere and ocean. This is the energy equivalent of four nuclear explosions every second being fed into the biosphere. Changing the structure of the city is a short-term plaster which does nothing to address the cause. Yeah, we need to address carbon emissions, and no one is seriously taking this into consideration. Where are the changes to building regulations mandating building insulation, requirements for PV and other renewable resources, progressive restrictions on FF use, incentivizing alternative building material use, mm. and yes, trees. 
That comes, as I say, from uh, Good Richard the second. And S says, I was watching a Hong Kong magazine programme on TV. It said here in Hong Kong, because the government gives some cash incentives for green buildings, some developers got away with the minimum of doing such as a wall with shrubbery, etc., and yet qualified for the full amount. The developers should take example from Singapore, where every new building is designed for collection of recycling material and some garbage falls directly down a chute for collection. The main challenge is for enforcement of such rules. Does it work? Look at the illegal parking and car engines running. Nobody cares to implement the rules. That comes from S. Uh, Patrick Lau, good morning to you, and, and, and thank, thanks for joining us. If we wanted to cool down the city, what would you say were the, what would you say the priorities? What would you say was the role of greening and introducing more vegetation and so on? I think um, speakers this morning have already mentioned the benefit of greening or planting trees in the urban area. Um, in recent years, um, I think uh, we are not doing greening alone because uh, uh, previously the, the idea of greening, just like we, we try to look for spaces in an urban area to plant trees. And once the trees is planted, looks like the job is done. But I think we are all aware that uh, trees are living things. Um, so uh, they, they, they all have their life expectancy and also they will get sick. So in recent years, you, you have uh, heard a lot of uh, uh, bad news about, you know, trees falling down with people, you know. So we, uh, we try to promote uh, the idea of urban forestry is to get people to think deeper that uh, we do need trees in the urban area. But the most important thing is we have to uh, maintain and manage them, but take good care of the trees in the urban area what? that could give us the, the good benefit. What about the point that was raised in one of the, one of the letters is we just haven't got space? on our streets for for trees unless we sort of knock down all the buildings and start again and retrofit um, the again, streets? Um, uh, uh, planting trees in the urban area is a challenge. Uh, not only state, right? There, there are a lot of uh, other problems, like uh, utilities underground uh, and all that uh, uh, planted too um, congested, you know, and create a lot of uh, disease issue for the trees and, and all, all, all that, and also the structural problem soil quality in the urban area, that really create a very uh, unfriendly environment to plant trees in the urban area. So mm. that, uh, that's exactly why uh, we need to think holistically, uh, just like many speakers uh, talk about this morning. Um, how are we going to plan our city? Um, so we, we did a, a very good job you know, in the new town um, that uh, we, we, we got the opportunity to uh, introduce uh, the greening, the, uh, the landscape master plan in a new, newly developed area, you know, so um, that create a better environment uh, for the long-term uh, growing of the trees. Um, but the existing urban area is a problem. Uh, right now, you know, everybody is uh, thinking how to resolve that. So uh, even the government uh, is realized the problem because that that will be a very risky um, situation. You know, if we don't uh, take good care of the trees in the existing urban area, also how to plant. You know, we we, uh, we always talk about the right trees at the right place uh, to to obtain. You know, the maximum benefit of uh, trees in the urban area. Okay, yes. uh, and number is two three three eight eight two six six. We've got a caller on the line now. I think yeah. Leah. Leon? Hi, good morning. Good morning, good morning. 
Yeah, I was just going to make a couple of suggestions because, you know, you walk down, I'm in the AT industry, and one of the things I see constantly is open shops, open malls, no doors on them, mm. pump and AC um, to keep the mall closed. And you can reduce the, uh, the energy usage simply by putting a door on it and capturing that cool air and keeping it inside. When you're trying to, uh, when a lot of these malls and shops uh, resort to using air curtains. Now, the original design of an air curtain was actually to keep the flies out of a, you know, out of a shop or a restaurant. But they utilize them in the wrong, you know, sort of in the wrong fashion and utilize them as doors to keep the cool air in. But it doesn't work. Um, energy use, uh, ACs run more efficiently when you can actually keep the air, cool air inside. So maybe enacting some sort of law so that shops can actually, you know, uh, have front doors, malls have front doors. Well, actually, I, I have no doubt, I firmly believe that this will actually reduce energy usage by a lot of these big developments and um, um, sort of reduce our carbon footprint. Yep, good one. Not, not, yeah, not just big developments, but I mean, I, I'm my office is in Shenguan, and I mean, every local little pharmacy, every Seven Eleven, it's just wide open front doors and aircons blasting all day. And these systems run on. So the way they run is they pull the air in from the inside and then pump out cooler. And when they reach that temperature, they shut off the coolant. If they never reach that temperature, the outdoor compressors are constantly fighting to keep the place cool. And it just, it's just <clears throat> awful. It's an awful situation to be in. But at the same time, enacting maintenance programs for a lot of these um, AC, um, um, commercial ACs, would actually reduce the energy usage yet again. So, I mean, there's quite a number of factors that are just neglected in terms of AC usage here in Hong Kong. I think I got it right. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like an obvious one. Why hasn't there been any you know, regulation to address that situation? Well, I, I guess it's, it's an enforcement issue, don't you think so, Leah? Um, I just think there's a lack of um, knowledge about it. Mm. I mean, they use window type ACs over here, and those are so archaic. I, I, I you know, I, I wonder why people are still using them. We got split types, we got well wall mount types, we got a whole range of really efficient ACs. But yet these window types, they don't fully seal the home, mm. and they can draw air from outside. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, leave it, leaving the door. I mean, like just the things with the open, the open door plan. I mean, you know, all you need is my father to come down here and be like, "Why are you, why are you damn kids leaving the leaving the door open? Close it. You think I'm paying for all that? I mean, just put hit one of those on every every doorstep. Put, put Close the, the damn door. I'm not paying to heat the whole world. Leo, many thanks. The world. Thank, thanks for your call. Yeah, uh, so I mean, Leo has a good point on the aircon uh, di uh, issues. So in Kai Tak, we now have district cooling systems. Mm. Unfortunately, the public housing has not been put on it, only the commercial buildings. So there's a cooling pipe, a titanium pipe running through Kai, under through Kai Tak. The public housing on top of it, you can see everybody have their own little air conditioning, mm -hmm. which is highly inefficient. But the yeah. commercial buildings are now using it, so that, that, that lowers the uh, the carbon footprint and improves the uh, our carbon footprint per 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 unit cooled. And uh, is that a pricing problem? Like presumably each of the commercial units is no, it's not. No, no, it was the it, it's just the housing authority doesn't know how to price in uh, cooling to their tenants because they've never done it.
Uh, so the, <laughs> old dog. brand new buildings, old brand new buildings with very old-fashioned air-conditioned systems. Yeah. Unfortunately. Okay, yeah. here's some more comments. So Jay says, in the new territories, the village houses have become hotter because the foundation bases have changed the water flow underground. So the cooling uh, is different. I think they don't really have foundations. Um, <laughs> David uh, F says, uh, I live in Happy Valley where temperatures have increased. Previously, the rugby and soccer pitches were grass and there was photosynthesis. The government has taken away the grass mm. and replaced it with astroturf. Heat mm. comes up from the astroturf as well as emitting harmful chemicals. In addition, low-rise buildings such as the government blocks at Leighton Hill have been redeveloped with a high-rise Leighton Hill development with no space between the buildings. On the other side, a low-rise building has had 20 storeys built on top. These high-rises block airflow. That's from uh, David F., uh, and uh, Anthony says, as we all know how to address the issue, what can be done to make our Hong Kong better? Then it should be the legislative side for the government to impose mandatory law to force people not to use air conditioning in it. That comes from uh, Anthony. Have we got another caller on the line? Yeah. Go ahead. What's Good your morning. name? Good morning. Morning, yeah. This is Guy. I'm from Sai Kong. Hi, Guy. Hi, Guy. Uh, very briefly, yeah, Paul recognises my voice. He'll know what I'm talking about. The government seems intent on doing the opposite by chopping down thousands of trees and is intent again on chopping down more thousands of trees for what uh, they call the Hiram's Highway Improvement Project. We fought stage one and lost, and they are building a dual carriageway uh, short section which lost 1,300 trees, and uh, there is a huge amount of concrete going into that. over a thousand objections have been received by highways department for stage two which is intent on driving a dual carriageway all the way through from marina cove where stage one ends all the way through Saikong town uh, to the far side um large very large uh, shade trees in the main street of Saikong will be lost um, and the connectivity between both sides of, of the Saikong town will be completely lost. It's a, it's a mad idea. The same thing will happen to Paxawan Hebe Haven, um, and destroying that community for really no good reason. Yeah, uh, and, and, and the problem is also the, uh, the greening along that road. And the the, the new road design has very little greening features in it. That's correct. And um, as you know, they call... Sai Kong, the Garden of Hong Kong, but they seem to be intent on destroying that for, for really no very good reason. Uh, improvements can be made to the road, but they refuse to countenance them. Hmm. I'm sure Paul will have something to say. Well, I mean, no, the bottom line really is, uh, and that's it, it, as, as we retro, if we want to retrofit the city and make it greener, uh, we have to move cars away. We have limited road space, uh, but uh, we the, the, the tendency is the other way around. We we uh, we equipping the city more for more and more vehicles, more and more vehicles. Uh, not only the carbon footprint, but it takes away space for trees and greening, and makes it harder to walk and less pleasant to walk. So we all start using public transport. So we're in a negative cycle. Uh, and, and we have to figure out a way of turning that around and convincing society and government to go the other way around. Okay, Guy, thanks very much indeed for, for your call. That's echoed in some emails. Jay says, trees in urban areas are in the new territories. We've watched this government in construction destroy over 200 trees in a small area, all for the sake of a cycle 
path. Alan says a few years ago the government rezoned fully wooded green belts for development and when the fact that such areas helped to reduce the heat effect the town planning board was not interested. The government described these areas as vegetated to cover up the fact that thousands of trees would be felled. You need people who look holistically at the development problem not blindly follow the dictate that everything must be concreted over. That is uh, from uh, Alan. Uh, Patrick Loud, do you agree? I mean it's, it's one thing uh, you know introducing urban forests. Another thing, just not cutting down what we've got, I guess. Um, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, not a, a good way uh, to approach you know, the modern uh, town planning uh, effort. Um, because, as Paul said, um, I think we, we really need to look at the, uh, another alternative way of uh, planning our cities. Um, the vehicular uh, issue is, is a big issue. Um, I think even in, in other cities, in Europe, uh, other cities, they are trying to move away from this uh, new road development. Um, and, and also, I think the government mindset is still stick you know, with the, uh, the the old school that you, know, you, you have to build uh, infrastructure uh, for the cars instead of for people. So this is the um, the problem. Uh, I think we are keep fighting. Um, to trying to change people's mindset that uh, I think the urban forestry is is not just greening. Uh, we need to introduce, um, come back with a natural system in the urban area. So the, the problem is this, this greening or urban forestry is still in a very low priority in the policy thinking. So I think with that in mind, um, we, we can minimize the, the tree felling because we have to look for uh, alternative way uh, to resolve like uh, mobility issues, not just you know vehicular issues. Yeah, but I guess, yeah, I guess there are trade-offs that need to be made at that level because you'd be like, okay, don't cut down any more trees. Well, I guess if you if you need to grow and redevelop, then that means going into previously developed neighborhoods and you know tearing down old buildings, and then you know then the history and historical guys don't want the heritage people don't want you to tear down the old buildings, and you know all the people don't want more development in their neighborhoods. Um, so I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of trade-offs that need, need to be made and recognized. Kevin Lau, also uh, Singapore was mentioned by a few of our people in our, in our um, emails and, and so on. Um, you know, is are there things we can learn from Singapore that we can apply in Hong Kong? Have they done particularly well? They they're known as a green city. Uh, yeah, does it work here? Um, uh, I think the. the Again, uh, so what I said, you know, we when we think of a new uh, infrastructure or a new 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 plan, uh, we have to look at the green infrastructure, not just the grey infrastructure. That I think that the, the existing problem in Hong Kong now, um, nobody talk about green infrastructure. Uh, that's what Singapore is doing. So they they um, in the very early days, you know, they map out the, the green network first, not just the road network. So, so that's why there's a the connectivity uh, about the open space network, uh, green space network. So this area are already mapped out in the very beginning so that um, uh, any conflict to that route, you, you have to review and look at it again uh, in order to avoid the conflict with the original thinking of uh, uh, introducing a, a very green uh, city. You know, this is the, the, the whole idea of uh, uh, the green infrastructure is a very important infrastructure, not just great infrastructure. Mm -hmm. What about 
what about rooftops? I mean, is there is there anything to be done on that front, whether it's, uh, you know, mandatory painting your rooftop white or tax breaks for rooftop gardens? Is that is that is that kind of very uh, small beer or is that something that could be effective in, in making a difference in, you know, how the urban heat sink reacts to? Um, the, the, the rooftop, uh, again, um, in some many other cities, like they use uh, rooftop because it's unavoidable, you know, in an urban area. Uh, you, you lack of space for um, a massive planting, you know, in the ground level. So people start to think of using the, the roof space. But uh, again, you have to think of it. In the very early beginning when you design the building, you have to allow enough loading uh, mm-hmm. spaces on the roof and some uh, backup facilities uh, like irrigation and all that that create a good planting environment um, that create a lot of, uh, there, there will be a lot of opportunity. You know, when you look at the, the roof space, you can uh, plant some uh, uh, edible uh, landscape, you know, we can grow vegetables and also we can create some gardens, you know, there's a lot of opportunities there. Mm-hmm. But uh, you really have to uh, look at it from the very beginning. But uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of old buildings um, did not have that um, opportunities because of the structural problem, you know, and all that stuff. So uh, uh, from now on, I think uh, that it will be a good approach, for example, for the newly developed area, when we are uh, uh, also looking at a shortage of open space, I think all the roof of the building, you know, can be considered as part of the green network that uh, you can allow uh, very easy access uh, connecting to each uh, rooftop uh, to create a really uh, green um, sky network um, for the whole area. That that, that will be a, a recent trend, you know, for some of the future cities. Well, if you prioritise, then the number one is the streetscape, and the second is the facades of the building, and the third is the the uh, the rooftops. Uh, you know, because we got high rises, and the rooftops are used for for mechanical plants, and and so the percentage of rooftop available compared to the, all the residents is is very very tiny. It's the facade of the buildings is is the but the, the first priority is the streetscape. We've got to incre- improve the streetscape because that's where most people are. The second thing, we've got to improve the facades of the building, make sure that we the, the heat exchange is much improved. And that, that is basically going to have to be mandatory. And we've got to be much more radical with our property industry. And then, yeah, th- and there might be some small opportunities in terms of rooftops. Yeah. And I mean, are there small things that people can do at home? I know, Paul, you, you and I are both advocates of the cold shower in the summertime, uh, so you don't need so much air con. Um, but are there other things people can do, like just remembering to put the blinds down at home before they leave in the morning to cool, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Keep keep your building, keep your keep your unit cool as much as you can. Keep the yeah uh, windows uh, windows open to let the air flow through. Uh, you know, close your curtains to just stop the heat from coming in. I mean, there there are all these things that we can do. And if you have a chance to uh, redo your windows, uh, do double glazing. Yeah, it's something you never see. Like I mean, you know, growing up in Canada, you know, you always had screens on the doors so you could open them up, and other screens and have airflow through. But I mean, in Hong Kong, you have bars on the windows at the thirty fifth floor in case. Spider-Man's going to come and rob your flat, but but there's never a screen on the window to keep out That's flies, right. but so, get the so window open. In, in, in cold you climates, in old cold climates, we were very good at keeping the cold out of the buildings, but in these hot climates, we're not very good at at, at the other way around, keeping the cool air inside. Yeah. Any, anything? Any other? Any other tips uh, from you? From uh, from uh, Patrick? Yes, uh, I think uh, we, we did talk about you know to uh, enhance the ventilation urban area to allow uh, the wind, the breeze uh, coming from the waterfront all the yeah. way to the uh, urban core. Um, 
through the urban core, all the uh, vehicular streets, it will bring a lot of pollutants, you know, all the way to the rest of the area. So I think it has to come with a green corridor um, together with this uh, uh, the, the wind path uh, that allow the trees to filter all this pollutants mm. before it reach the, the rest of the urban area. Yep. And and Hong Kong has a very good uh, opportunity because it's so unique that uh, Country Park is so close. Uh, Paul always mentioned about the accessibility, connectivity to the waterfront, but people uh, don't talk about too much on the connectivity to the country park mm. from the urban area. So it can be a, a really well-connected route through uh, the streets with the green corridor all the way to the country park that mm. connect to the waterfront. And that create a very comfortable uh, environment for the pedestrians. Um, uh, uh, this, this, this will be a very good opportunity for Hong Kong. It's workable because the country park is so close, just at the edge of the urban area. Um, so uh, in that sense, uh, we can have this, uh, looks like uh, some green fingers uh, 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 coming down from the country park all the way to the waterfront. That, that will be a very unique feature for Hong Kong. Okay, we just end with with a few uh, comments from uh, listeners. Mike uh, is back. Mike responding to Richard says California has the coldest and wettest winter in a century. The reason it's on fire is that it had seven thousand lightning strikes in one night of unmanaged forests. California tree huggers have prohibited the thinning of these forests and therefore compounding the problem. According to NASA, the overall pla- the overall planet is cooling. The jinx is up. We know what the carbon argument is all about. Get over it. One problem with recording temperatures is the records are centred in areas of man's construction, which raise temperatures locally. Richard, if you get into a shame off, I'm your guy. That comes from Mike. Shirley says, hottest July, current hot weather warnings, yet the pools are closed. Does COVID-19 spread in open pool? Any evidence? Thanks, gasping, Shirley. Uh, uh, so thank you very much indeed too I guess we've got some other emails we'll get to in just a second but let's wrap up that topic uh, for now uh, Patrick Lau thank you very much indeed for joining us thank Chairman you. of the Association a Landscape Consultants a member of the Urban Forestry uh, Advisory Panel Paul Zimmerman CEO of Designing Hong Kong and Jeez. Southern District Councillor thank you very much indeed and thank you to Kevin Lau Research Assistant Professor at the Institute of Future Cities at the Chinese University Paul says Mary constantly moans about cars parking and idling so as a car driver i just want to help us see a different perspective a lot of so-called brownfield sites were previously used as car parks and the government in their wisdom decided to sell them off to property developers this has led to less car parking spaces the result of which has led to more people dropping off their husband or wife and waiting for them to finish shopping while remaining in their car before suggesting the genius idea of slapping a fine on idling cars, consider the consequence of that, which would be people driving around the block instead of waiting, which of course would lead to more traffic jams and even more pollution. The question should be, why did Hong Kong need more real estate when the birth rate for the last 20 years has been approximately only one child per household? The problem is therefore government-generated and not the fault of drivers. That comes from Paul uh, in Taipo. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Peter says of uh, the government CUHK expert on measures to secure the social distancing needed to suppress COVID-19 spreading believes we should retain the current limit to two people per table. This totally ignores the key importance of restaurants in family feeding in Hong Kong. The smallest nuclear family, mum, dad and child cannot currently sit down together to eat. All this because all this 
Expert talks of opening up by increments of doubling up, i.e. the next opening will be up to four. Why not allow one person, just one more person, so allowing uh, said family to return to restaurants? The philosophy of using 100% as the smallest increment in spatial management seems ridiculous. That comes uh, from Peter T. Sorry, we weren't able to get hold of uh, Tommy Chung, uh, Executive Counselor. Um, um, sorry about that. Let's just finish with uh, uh, an email from Bowen. Uh, this is related to the question that we were talking about uh, yesterday and Ted Hoy's private prosecutions. Bowen says, while Grenville crossed this point yesterday that the shot individuals not giving evidence in court could deprive the policeman of a fair trial appeared to be reasonable, he failed to explain why it was right to stop the prosecution against the taxi driver in the second case. But even in the first case, there's also a broader context to consider. Neville Cerrone QC wrote in an article thus uh, that while hundreds of thousands of protesters have been arrested and some charged and convicted, with many others still awaiting trial, many objective observers had a note had noted a marked lack of accountability for abuse of power by the police. Seen against this background, Mr. Theroni said that uh, Ted Hoy's private prosecution against the policeman was the canary in the mine of Hong Kong's public perception of the operation of the rule of law. He further argued that by removing the canary, Theresa Cheng deprived both the judiciary and the public of the opportunity for a high-profile test of the common law in action, while also demonstrating that either the administration did not have confidence in the judiciary or police officers were above the law. On the point about the shot individuals not giving evidence in court, I would just add that the fact the individual survived is merely accidental. If he died from the shot, the prosecutor, whether public or private, would have been left with just as much or less evidence as there would be if the private prosecution was allowed to go ahead without the shot individual giving evidence in court. Following the DOJ's reasoning, would the death of the individual therefore mean that there could not be a fair trial for the policeman? And by that logic, the accused in any murder case, where the victim is always unable to give evidence and thus justify not prosecuting. Obviously, not necessarily. If there are enough witnesses, not to mention the real-time footage shot on site in Saiwan Ho, that we've all watched on TV and the internet. Ditto in the present situation. That is from Bowen. Bowen, thank you very much indeed. Raphael, thank you very much indeed for producing this morning. To uh, Andy, our uh, engineer, and of course to uh, Andrew Work and uh, Michelle as well. The weather forecast, hot, sunny intervals and a few showers. Showers increasing gradually and there will also be some squally thunderstorms. The outlook, heavy showers and a few squally thunderstorms at first. Tomorrow, very hot with sunny periods in the following few days and there will be one, still one or two showers. The latest reading, 30 Celsius, relative humidity, 78%. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organizers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. The Democratic